that we should have the seicho, the courage, and the commitment to do what we have to do, and do it with simcha, and with gesund. Health is very important. And, and the Rebbe should have nachas ruach ra from everything we do. L'chaim. L'chaim, l'chaim. Thank you, Rabbi Silverstein. Because Yud Shvat is a day which is connected to the previous Rebbe and the Rebbe, so we're going to start with the Nigan, the Benini Nigan, which the Friedrich Rebbe liked very much this Nigan. So we're going to play it on the screen. You could sing it along in your house or whatever. Um, so we're going to play now the Nigan, the Benini.
this nigan, in a way, is a great summary of the Maimir of Basilegani, both of the Pivis Rebbe, and including the Mamorim of the Rebbe that served as an elucidation of the Pivis Rebbe's Maimir, and specifically the Mamorim related to this year, which is the period Aleph. The Mamorim the Rebbe said over the years in Tafshin Chof Aleph and Mem Aleph. I just wanted to focus on an, a central point. The thing is called the Nigel de Benani. What is the Benani in Tanya? Benani in Tanya is the Jew who always fights. He's in a battle zone. The Tzaddik is already past the stage of battle. As Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, he's called an Evet, Shekvar Ovat. He's already done with the battle. Right? He's overcome it. The Benani is the one who struggles. Now, is that a void of the Benini? <clears throat> you would say an, a, a stage before the tzaddik. That means he hasn't reached yet the dark of the tzaddik, so he, he's still a Benini. He's unfortunately still in the dark of a Benini where he has to fight. That's one way to look at it. In other words, the Kavana, the whole purpose of a person's life is to be perfect, to be a tzaddik, right? No struggles. Right? The, the enemy has no place in your life. It's, it's disgusting. You have a, rep, a repulsion for, for the enemy. So mainly you're free of any struggle. But the Benini unfortunately still struggles. But the MS Chesidus doesn't say that. It's both from Tanya and from many places of Chesidus is that the Benini is actually the most central soldier in Hashem's army, the one who fights, the one who has to contend with a challenge, with a test, and has to fight. Why is that? Why is that so much more important, in a way more valuable than the tzaddik? Is because the whole, according to Hasidus, Aveda, what is Aveda? Aveda means self-negation overriding yourself. In other words, that tzaddik doesn't have to override his metzias. His metzias is a very refined and spiritual metzias, right? It's a being that's been totally refined. So he finds it, he finds no difficulty in serving Hashem. It's, it's, it's very natural for him. But there's no fight. There's no avoid it. He doesn't have to override anything in his life. His life is perfectly consistent with the Ratzon Hashem. So his Metzias is a, is a, is a spiritual Metzias that has a total like, uh, um, identification with what Hashem wants. And there's no resistance there. There's no, there's no struggle. But that's not the Emes Aveda. There's a mile in the Aveda of the Benini that has to go against himself. It's that bittle that touches the Abishta more than the Tzaddik. That's how the Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, the famous Mishnah, that how can a Tzaddik be more humble And a Koladam means without distinction, that discrimination is the Tzaddik should be even the, that, that uh, Shlomiel who's sitting there at the corner of the street selling hot dogs and has a Yetzirah that's burning like a chimney. And even him, he should be more humble than him. How could that be? Where's, where's the Seichel? Where's the logic? Now, the Rebbe explains in a very profound way that if the measuring stick is how, how great you are, how much you have achieved, in your own perfection, becoming more and more in sync with, with, with the Ratzon Hashem, then of course the tzaddik is on a higher level. It doesn't make sense logically that tzaddik should feel less valuable than this, this um, right, this low life. But if your yardstick 
of what is a measure of being close to Hashem is how much have you had to overcome and override your own ego, your own self. Whatever that self is, can be a, a crude self or can be a very spiritual self, but it's you as, as a self. The Bainani is, and, and, and especially that low life who is struggling with some very coarse and crude uh, desires and Yetzirah, for him not to do a, a, a gross Avera is a big struggle. That means that he has to make a dent into his own ego in a very, very, um, um, you know, powerful way, in a, in a very intense way. He has to struggle very harshly. So that means he's really fighting against himself in deference of who? Of the Ebishta. That's where the Ebishta is. That's where Hashem is. Kedusha is found, Dafke, where you are overriding your Metzius. So yes, the Tzaddik is a more refined Metzius, but the Tzaddik is lacking that avoid of overriding your Metzius. And Hashem's presence is found where? Where someone has to overcome, doesn't matter what level of refinement, that level of urge and desire it is, the mile of, that's the Dishval Ruach, the, the, the Chocham, the Tzaddik, the perfect Jew, stands in awe of that simple Jew. This is the Yisod of Tanya. The whole Yisod of Tanya is based on that. As in contrast with what Musa tried to tell us, and still tells us, I mean, Musa was a, had played an important role in Jewish spiritual development, but it's a very different path. So the whole Bosligani is about that. What is the, Rebbe, the previous Rebbe saying, Bosalegani? In, in the first Maimon, <clears throat> that what, what is the avoid of a Jew? How do you make a Mishkan, a Mikdash, a sanctuary out of your own life? For also the Mikdash refers to every single Jew, right? That's what he starts in the Maimon. And how do you do that? is by overcoming what he says, the shtus. In other words, the, the, the foundation of all the problems and all the evil in our lives is not that we're bad. So in Sifu Musa, they'll tell you, hey, gaiva is bad, anger is bad, and therefore you shouldn't be bad, you should be good. And when he understands being bad is bad and being good is good. So, and besides, if you contemplate that being bad, a bad person, and uh, lands you in a bad place in the afterlife. And being a good person lands you in a good place. So it's a simple question why you should stick with good things and not with bad things. Bersidus, as the, the Fidik Rebbe once said, the Valshemtov didn't come to make us religious. He came to make us wise. So Bersidus says, to do an Avera is not bad. It's foolish, it's stupid. You're stupid if you do an Avera. Why are you stupid? Because you, you simply dilute yourself. You're fooling yourself into thinking that doing an Avera, in other words, like Yitzchidus says, the truth is every Jew wants a certain thing. And that's undeniable that we don't have a choice in the matter. This is how we are by de facto. There's an Ishama wants to be connected to Hashem every single moment. And a neshama, any neshama, any neshama, doesn't matter who he is, a tzaddik, a beni, a roshah, every neshama by definition, by de facto, has this immense fear, this panic. It is afraid to be separated, disconnected for one second from Hashem. That is a given. And that is the nature of the neshama. It's not something that we need to do anything about. We're born with this. This is what the neshama is. Once you're aware of that, then you realize this is who I am. Chassidus says you have to learn about the truth. All, it's, it's not about being good or bad. It's about knowing the emes. And once you know the emes, then the question is, if you know this is true, why would you do an Aveda? Because you think 
that this can disconnect doesn't happen when certain averis are being committed. Right? That's what the previous Rebbe says in the Maimah. And it's based on Tanya Perichavdalot. I mean, this is uh, something that Alter Rebbe has already elaborated on, but the Friedrich Rebbe elaborates in, in great detail. Now, and, and, and so what is the point of that Maimah? Is to tell you there's really no difference what kind of Avera you do. You see, if your objective is being a good person and not be a bad person, then there are degrees. You can be very good. You can be a mildly good. You know, if you do a few bad things, then you're not as bad, but you're not as good either. If you do no bad things and only good things, then you're very good. And if you really do a lot of bad things, then you're really bad, right? There are different grades of good and bad. But if the measure of our relationship with Hashem is not how good you are. It's are you connected or not connected? Are you stuck within yourself or you have transcended yourself so that you can be connected to Hashem? To be connected to Hashem means that you're not a Matthias because your, your ego is, a, is an obstruction between you and Hashem. So to be connected to Hashem means that it's not about you, right? So are you connected or not connected? That's the question. If that's the question, then it doesn't matter the, the, the degree and the severity of what you do and what you don't do. The question is one question. What does Hashem want? So if you ask, what, does Hashem like you to do a big Avera? No, of course not. Does Allah like you to do a rabbanon? Some, you think Hashem likes it? Of course not. Does Hashem want you to keep a minag Yisrael? What do you think? Hashem wants it or doesn't want it? If you could ask Hashem, does he want it? Of course Hashem wants it. So if you don't do it, that means you don't care what Hashem wants. So at that moment, you're separating yourself. And that's what matters. That's, that is the measuring That is the measuring tool you use whether you're connected or not connected. And therefore, it doesn't matter what it is. If the moment... You, The moment you've established that the criteria of your relationship with Hashem is what, what, what does Hashem want from you? And that's what you care. And, and that's what connects you with Him. What He wants is what connects you with Him. So it doesn't matter what it is. In other words, it's not, it's about, not about you. It's about you wanting what Hashem wants and not to separate even a moment from what He wants. And therefore, it, it, it's Again, the whole Yisrael of Chassidus is in this Maimah. Understanding the nature of our relationship, what is the right yardstick to measure what, when the relationship is, is on track and when it's not. And when you use that effectively, then it's not a question of being good or bad, it's just being stupid. Not to do it is, is, is going working against yourself. That is the foundation of the first Maimah. And the Rebbe elaborates on this Maimah in, in many ways in, in other Mamarim later on in, over the years. But that is the Nakura of the whole of Tanya, the Bainani. Knowing that being connected to Hashem means that you're willing to override that which you want and go against it. And the entire series of Mamarim the Rebbe said on this chapter for this year was all about the Midas Hanitzachan. Victory. Victory implies that there's opposition. You don't have to be victorious if there's nobody fighting you. That means there's clearly a resistance. And there's something so, it's something so valuable that there is a victory. That means there is opposition and there is a struggle. And a Jew overrides that opposition and is victorious. That to Hashem, this is so valuable that Hashem is willing to squander the, the, the most precious resources. That is the Nikud of, of the, the Maimorim of this year. I think it's an incredibly uh, valuable and inspiring message to us. And I find that when I speak to people who are not yet connected to Judaism, what an incredible thing to tell people. 
people who have challenges, you tell people about Shabbos. Shabbos is a big challenge. It's difficult, especially if you didn't grow up with it. Kashas. That this challenge you have is not your own personal, private challenge and test. You know, people feel alone. You know, everybody has their own challenges and they feel, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting on their own. They're fighting alone. They're fighting a, a lonely battle. But what the Mamorim, the Rebbe in this Mamorim keeps hammering away, this is not a personal battle. You're involved in Hashem's battle. Hashem is battling evil in the world. Your challenge in your personal life is part of that greater battle. And you know how important it is to Hashem that your battle is successful because it's not just yours. You're part of an army, a Tzivah Hashem, that's fighting a cosmic battle that the Melech himself, Hashem, fights side by side with you. You're never alone. Your challenges and your tests, you're not fighting on your own. It's an incredibly inspiring thought when you learn those mamorim. The perspective the Rebbe gives us is so uplifting. And not only that, that to Hashem, it matters so much, more than anything. All the malachim and srofim and afanim and, and even higher. It don't matter anything to him. When it comes to the struggle of a simple Jew, you know, down here in the trenches. And that's that's what the whole Briya was for. And the more difficult it is, the more challenging it is, the greater the treasures, the itzas, the squandering of the Melech putting his life on the line to help you in your victory is there, is available. What an concept. It's like it's an incredible idea. The enormous importance you have in the scheme of Hashem's very essence and what he wanted when he created the world. Your struggles and your battles and your is, is figures so prominent, so importantly. It's an incredible idea. We don't, we have to think about this. Anyways, just a thought that <laughs> I know I'm stating the obvious, but um, you know, we, we have to state the obvious. Sometimes the obvious is, you know, we, what, what's in plain sight, sometimes we, we forget. Anyways, um, play a nigan, no, another nigan. L'chaim, l'chaim. <clears throat> I can't stay for very long, but I, as I told uh, Rabbi Mendel, that I will be here for an hour. But, uh, you know, we can have uh, other commitments as well. But uh, let's, let's see how we let's sing another nigan. Okay, we're going to sing another nigan, nigan of Tzoma Lechonashi. This is connected also to Rabbi Silverstein was saying that one of the explanations of Tzoma Lechonashi is that there's a certain advantage to the time of Golos, to the time when things are hard. And Kain Bakaydash means Halavai Bakaydash. If only in the times of the Beis Hamikdash they had a kind of our challenges and on our hardships that we go through because of the advantage that we have of doing our avoid of doing our work even in these hard times. So we're gonna play the Nigan Sama Lachanafshi as the Rebbe sings it. Oh the sound is off. One second, let's try to fix that. Oh, 
Well, this is a, a day when uh, an auspicious day, a Yom Segula, to make certain commitments, resolutions about learning the Rebbe's the Rebbe's Sichas, Mamorim, but also connect with the Rebbe's what the Rebbe wants from us. Just like it is with the Ebrister that in the Maimer, the Rebbe explains in Tavshin Memalaf that the Midas HaNetzach, which is this unique quality needed to overcome this, the, the, the challenges of the opposition, evil, evil in the world, is constantly trying to undermine uh, what we're accomplishing, what the, our relationship with Hashem, and to turn the world into So you need Midas HaNetzach. So what is Netzach? Netzach is this resolve that it's not negotiable. It, it, and the Rebbe explains there, it's not just that it's not negotiable, that it has we have to be victorious. It's not a question whether we will, maybe yes, maybe not. It's not shaykh otherwise, right? It's impossible otherwise. And the Rebbe then goes on explaining that this is not only regarding the, the important questions, the important issues in Torah, like um, the, the, the three major sins in Torah, or Shabbos, or Kashis, or even the Rabbanan, there is even a minig even anything which is sacred within the context of Jewish observance, even those which we may seem on the periphery of Jewish observance, is, is a Jew is willing to give it everything. It's not negotiable. Where does that feeling come from? That you don't discriminate, you don't distinguish between one Indian and another Indian, everything has equal weight. Where does it come from? It comes from dust in the kudah. When a Jew is not looking to be something, to be a spiritual being, you're looking, to, you, you, you want what Hashem wants. What, does, what, is, what makes Hashem happy? What does Hashem want? If this is Ratz and Hashem, then I want it. And I want it at all costs. And it's, and it's not negotiable. 
you know, it's interesting that in Russia, this attitude that nothing is negotiable, a relation with Hashem cannot be quantified through this mitzvah, that mitzvah. A relation with Hashem is so essential. This essential bond, which is not negotiable, permeates every detail of Judaism. Even the most, uh, you could say, marginal, seemingly marginal aspect of mitzvahs of Jewish practice. Chassidim had Mesiris Nefesh for that. And many questioned the, the legitimacy of that in Halacha. Halacha says you have to give your life for three major things. Other things is questionable. Some say you're allowed to. Some say you're not even allowed to. It's an Avera if you, if you give your life for it. But in the time of Friedrich Rebbe, Pius Rebbe inculcated, he raised a, a, a generation of Chassidim that for them it was not negotiable. My mother, Allah Shalom, grew up in communist Russia, and she remembered not to go to school on Shabbos till Mesiris Nefesh. And the kids were, the, 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 the passion, the excitement that Torah and Mitzvah is not negotiable at all costs. Mashli chayav mineget, as the Rebbe says in the Maimah. You hold, nothing, nothing is more important, right? Nothing can get in the way between you and Torah and Mitzvah. That feeling was felt by children. The Friedrich Rebbe's influence was so powerful that kids, my mother was seven, eight, and, and they all together, <laughs> my mother said she was sent, uh, she, she had, uh, I think she had a flu, I don't know what it was, uh, something that was somewhat contagious. And, and in communist Russia, they thought that any type of, uh, uh, the you know virus you have that may be contagious, they quarantined you. You go to the hospital, and they kept you in a room where nobody was allowed to visit you. And the doctors would come in, and the nurses. So my mother was taken to the hospital because she had, I think it was a flu or something, uh, or maybe something else. But it was something that was a contagious, and she was eight years old, and she lived in a house where she had. They live in a house where all the uncles and aunts and, and every the grandmothers, everybody lived in one house. It was like a... So her granduncle, her uncle was the famous chassid, Rabbi Saul Neveler. So before she went to the hospital, it was very dangerous for her to disclose that she can't eat certain food because she's Jewish, would put into jeopardy and endanger, first of all, her parents' life, they would be sent to Siberia, never to be seen again. And she would be taken to an orphanage somewhere, a Russian orphanage. So it was very dangerous. She had to be very discreet about what she eats, she doesn't eat, be very careful. He said to her, before she went, you can eat everything. Don't worry. It's because never she can eat. He said to her, didn't want her to fight. So it was a little girl. But my mother... <laughs> I knew her when she was an adult, but I can just imagine boots and boots in the cut for Yadia. The Gemara says that a cabbage you can see from early on uh, what it was be like. I can imagine she was a fighter. Uh, eating trafe was was uh, for a seven year old unquestionable. So, but she knew it was dangerous to say. Ah, okay. They wanted to feed her, force feed her meat, chicken soup, trafe. And she, she said to me, I started crying and said to the doctors, I hate chicken soup. I hate meat. My mother knows it. I, if I eat it, I throw it up. And she, she, she cried real tears. And they believed her. They saw that this is a seven. They couldn't, they couldn't imagine that a seven-year-old would resist eating trafe for ideological reasons, for spiritual reasons. She's too young for that. If she says she hates it, probably she doesn't like it. That made sense. It wasn't true. She loved chicken soup. But she didn't want to eat because it's trafe. In the entire two weeks, she was quarantined in a communist institution, in a hospital. She didn't touch one time trafe. They agreed to give her uh, instead of uh, cheese. Cheese was in Russia acceptable. 
um, it wasn't Chol of Yisrael, probably, but it was, it was not Treif. So they said that she needs protein. I gave her cheese instead. She came out. <laughs> she told her uncle when she came home, Feter Yisrael, I didn't touch tray food even once. And he broke out into a big smile and said, I knew there's a chassidish spark inside of you. And you should say chassidish beindol. These were kids. Who raised a generation that little kids, seven, eight-year-olds, would fight? It was not even a question. It wasn't negotiable. This is the Midas HaNetzach, that the connection with Hashem, every detail, is, is, can jeopardize your connection with Hashem. Every detail of a minhag was precious and dear as much as eating Yom Kippur. I saw it was a nigledika vote because um, if you speak to uh, somebody who's more halachic, halachically oriented uh, and is not raised in a Hasidic environment, they'll have an issue with this, you know. My mother says she remembered there was a Rav in Russia, he was not a Chavi, who'd come every, Russia was very there, you had to go to work on Shabbos. If you didn't work on Shabbos, you were in danger. So he is a Rav of a shul. He went to work every Shabbos, he would come with his wallet after work on Shabbos and give a shir Gemara in, in Shul. He says, Bikoch Nefesh. Near these Chabadniks, not Rabbanim, Pashat Yidin, giving their lives for, for Aisha the Rabbanim. So, um, so this is safer. Avedis Avedis. It's written by a very famous Rav in Poland. His name was Reb Shleimer Kluger. Shleimer Kluger was one of the greatest poskim of his life, of his time, about 150 years ago. He described, he is, it's a commentary on the Gemara Vedizara. And there's a story there how Reb Hanine ben Tradion, on the Roman rule, and the Romans at that time, forbade limited Torah, learning Torah in public, right? You couldn't teach to the masses. Bi'er disregarded the edict and he taught Torah Barabim in public at great, great risk to his life. In the end, they caught him and they, they burned him live. The Gemara describes his, his execution and and there's a conversation that he has a few months before he was caught by the Romans. He has a conversation with another Tana Rabbi Yisim and Kisma, who is elderly and is ill and failing and, and eventually passed from that illness. And they have a last final conversation. And Khanim Tadjan is reproached by the elderly Tana. Is saying, I hear that you're doing these dangerous things. You're teaching Torah in public, unrestricted, without any fear of the government. It's dangerous. You're not supposed to do this. And he says, well, Hashem will help. Anyways, to make a long conversation short, they're having a conversation back and forth. So in that story, this Reb Shleimer one of the greatest post-kim of his time, um, says, what is really the explanation? How could such Tanoim, we find many stories in the Gemara that they were willing to put their lives on the line for mitzvahs that we don't have to, according to Torah, and according to certain Rishonim, certain halachic opinions, it's actually not allowed to. So how do we explain that? He says an amazing, amazing vote. And this is from a halachic authority. This is not a chosid. I mean, he had maybe a shaykh to him, but this is a work of halacha, not a work of chassidus. He says like this, the two types of Jews, 
the types of Jews that their relationship with Hashem consists of a duality. It's 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 a, it's a, it's it's a you know it's an arrangement. The Eibusha gave me life. The Eibusha gave me certain things I enjoy in life. But it is a shochanoch. Shochanoch places certain restrictions on my life, what I can do, what I cannot do. It places certain restrictions on my time. The Eibusha wants me to daven every morning, put tefillin, keep Shabbos. Okay, I'm a good Jew. I'm going to give the Eibusha everything he has, everything he wants. I'll, I'll, I'll comply with his demands, but then there's a lot of time which he leaves up to my discretion. If I davened already, and I learned, and I said a bracha, and I benched, I want to go play tennis. I love tennis. Hey, it's nothing to stop you. I'm a good Jew. And that Jew, is a, he's a perfect Jew. <laughs> he has a broken, a singing Allah and and the way he sees his relation with Hashem is Hashem, you and I, we're in a, some kind of contractual uh, relationship. You know, I'll give you what you will. You have certain demands on my life. I'll give you. And you give me a certain autonomy, certain freedom to do what I want. And, and you know what? Most Jews in the world see their relation with Hashem through that framework. That's what they see. There's a duality here. There's me and there's Hashem, and we're we're in a relationship. You know, there's kind of agreement, a give and take. So it says Rabbi like this. He says, we know that money, Hashem says, is yours. You can do with your money what you want, as long as you don't do anything bad. But you know, you want to squander your money and throw it, give it away. Hey, no, didn't you know it says you can't? But your life. Says, life is mine. You can't just do what you love, what you want, because that is not your property. I own your life. Money, I give to you. So there's an arrangement here. Money is yours to do it at your discretion, but the, your life is mine. And I tell you when you can dispose of it, when you cannot. So there's an arrangement. So for such a Jew, the Abish says, listen, your life is mine, and therefore I dictate that when it comes to three major Avedas, I want you to give up your life. Anything else? Hey, I call the shots for your life. You can't, you can't dispose of your life for anything else. It's the Abishness. That's his territory. Your money? Hey, you want to spend it on another yacht and another vacation home and or splendor, you know, Spend it in a, in a, in a what do you call it, Atlantic City? Gamble it? It's your choice. He says, but there's a Jew who has a very, very different relationship with Hashem. There are Jews, there is no duality for them. The Abishter is everything. The Abishter owns my life, the Abishter owns my money. Everything is the Abishter. For him, there's nothing but the Abishter. And everything is and he feels it. He feels that everything he has belongs to the Ebishter. And it's only in order to be Megala Kveit Shemaim in the world. And that's all there is. There's nothing else. For such a Jew, the Ebishter says, listen, ah, you give me everything. Your money, your life. You don't have anything of your own. Your whole being is mine. Oh, you're on my side. For you, there are no rules. Whatever you feel, if you feel you want to give your life for a mitzvah de Rabbonin, I'm not setting any restrictions. You're a different, we have a different kind of relationship. It's a powerful insight, halachic. He explains up here, halach. I told this once a rov, not a Lubavitcher rov. He was blown away. He asked me where it says that. It's like, it's like so... Um, it explains what the Friedrich Rebbe did with a generation of Chassidim. The Mamaimer of, of Basilegani, the way the Friedrich Rebbe does, lays out the, 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 the mission statement of, of a Jew, of a Chassid. And then the Rebbe took this in it, Memalef and Chofalef, especially Memalef. It, 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 it really gives you a whole different framework 
of a relationship. Midas HaNetzach means that there's nothing other than the Ebeshter. My money, yeah, your money, my money, what is it, what, what, your mind, there's nothing but the Ebeshter. And if there is money, it's only so that I can give more tzedakah. Right? So the, the Rebbe said in a Sikha once, somebody uh, has some stocks, he goes to sleep and the next morning he wakes up and he finds out that the stock market, the stocks that he had invested, rose exponentially. So now, that company has millions of stocks, millions of shares, and probably the vast majority of the stockholders are Goyim. He and a few other Jews probably have some shares there too. So what, are the, what, are, what should the Jew think? So the first instinct of the Jew is to get up in the morning and say, Bo Hashem, thank you for giving me a, a few extra dollars. Now I can give more tzedakah. But the Nefesh Abami says, no. I mean, why, why would you thank the Ebishter? You're a liar. 99% of the people who own shares in this company are Goyim. And the shares rose for them as well. The stock rose for them as well. So you're just a small fraction of shareholders that have a stake in, the, in, in, in this company. So you're going to tell me that this is something for you to thank Hashem? The Abishta, what the Abishta, the stocks rose for all these millions of Goyim who have shares. And a few Jews, of course, what the Abishta is going to make, that the stocks will rise for them and not for you. They may will rise for you too. If the stocks rise for them, it will rise for you too. It's not a special thing that Abishta made the Kavana that you should have your stocks rise. 99% of Goyim. He says, what is the thinking of a Jew should be? What should be the thinking of a Jew? Why are all these Goyim having their stocks rise? Because the Kavana was the Ketchila that I should have extra, a few extra dollars. And the Abishta made the stocks rise because of that. So I can give more tzedakah. The other Goyim also... Make it make a little bit of a windfall. In other words, the whole cook is everything turns around the relationship of a yid with the Ebrister. There's no such a thing as the time I give to the Ebrister and the time which is mine. Netzach means my whole life, my whole mitzias is 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 only the Ebrister, nothing else. And and for such a Jew, it's not a pillar that such a generation. We saw when the Mesiris Nefesh, like the Rebbe says in the Maimer, the Friedrich Rebbe highlights the concept of a, an army. The whole Basel Gani is about Sivis Hashem, this week's parasha, last week's parasha. We're, we're, we're soldiers. The, the nature of a soldier is that he has no life of his own. His whole Mitzvah is, is, is the Melech, and, and even his very life, his very being, belongs to the Melech. Anyways, Lachaim, uh, my cup, I think, spilled somewhere, but um, I wish you all well. And I hope Buffalo stays warm. If it can't be warm uh, from the snow, because Buffalo is famous for its snow seasons, you keep warm with uh, a stickle mimer, or a bissel mashka, or whatever. But the ikas is ayim freilach. It was a pleasure and a and a, um, and a and an honor and a privilege, and I thank you for inviting me to be part of this. And at Slocha Rabba. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, our service team, for taking the time to ring. It's, um, it's very very geschmack. Pleasure. Um, it's, uh, it's uh, inspiring to me to be able to uh, share these thoughts with you. It's really sharing it with myself. So, Mechaim, and uh, you're all invited to come here sometime. And for being here, you invited me to come to you. So now I'm inviting you back. <laughs> I didn't have to travel very far to come to you. But hopefully you'll be able to be Gashmis to come here. And, and uh, we can continue to break together. Thank you.
thank you everyone for joining and have a have a good night.